The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Let me introduce you to our first special guest uh, who's going to remain with us through the hour. Joanne Hobbs is the Executive Director of Teen Challenge in Queensland and Teen Challenge is all over Australia. In fact, Teen Challenge these days is all over the world. 1,100 centres in 93 countries around the world. Uh, Let's introduce Joanne. Joanne Hobbs, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. It's awesome to be here this morning. Joanne, let me just uh, start by reflecting, as I love to, when I talk about Teen Challenge, uh, the wonderful history dating back to David Wilkerson. And for a lot of listeners who are tuned into our program, they'll remember something of the history and the movie that was made about his life. But when you think of David Wilkerson, I guess you're talking about him fairly regularly. Absolutely. I mean, he's obviously the incredible role model for Teen Challenge. And I think um, every one of the centres that are around the world, we we emulate exactly what was his heartbeat, and that was to serve young people, to see their lives transformed and taken out of this terrible area of, of addiction, given a life and a purpose. And he was uh, immortalised in some sense in that movie called The Cross and the Switchblades, and it starred Pat Boone, and, of course, it was the story of Nicky Cruz and uh, a powerful story. And for a Christian movie back to, I think, must be the 1970s. I think so. Uh, it was a quality Christian movie at the time and drew attention to the issues of drug addiction. And so as the founder, David Wilkerson, he has uh, certainly a big legacy that he's left behind. Oh, he's left behind a tremendous legacy. I think about a country pastor who, um, you know, in, in the countryside of, of America and then going to the streets of New York and you think, what a shock that must have been to him. But he went because he felt he had a call of God on his life to go into the um, gang culture of New York City to uh, be able to minister to these young men and, and women that were in just a terrible state of despair. Now, Joanne, let me enlarge. You've got a career in business and in government and also in Christian ministry. As an ordained minister of the gospel, you were pastoring for many years. You bring this experience to your current role in Teen Challenge. Tell me about what Teen Challenge is doing in the state of Queensland, but also other states around Australia. Yes, well, Teen Challenge is in every state of Australia, and I have the privilege of uh, leading Teen Challenge in Queensland. Uh, Here in Queensland, we have uh, two rehabilitation centres, a men's centre and a women's centre in Toowoomba, and we also have crisis accommodation uh, based in Brisbane. And uh, we see many young men and women come through our facilities, obviously just dealing with the issues that we're about to talk about uh, today. And uh, we have the incredible privilege of watching these young people walk through a journey of recovery uh, and seeing their lives transformed. 
Well, wanting to invite listeners to be part of our conversation today and our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts to share about the ice epidemic. Now, let me ask you, Joanne, as we get into this conversation, uh, there is some suggestion that uh, calling it an epidemic may be overstating. Uh, the issue with ice. As someone who's dealing with this issue day to day, what are your thoughts? Is the ice epidemic a true epidemic? Look, I understand that there are people that don't want to call it an epidemic because that the connotation of that just seems like it's overwhelming and uh, you know how we're going to actually cope with this. But look, if we look at the real statistics of this, you know, I do believe that it is an epidemic. I do believe that uh, we're seeing a rise in um, this ice um, addiction and the dreadful effects that it's having, just not on individuals, but families, communities and a whole nation. Okay, and so, so far as we might give a definition to what ice is, uh, I mean, we've been seeing some reports on our television sets. Uh, we know that the Prime Minister's announced a task force to address this issue of ice. How do you describe uh, to ordinary people what ice actually is? Well, ice is a super pure and uh, super potent form of um, amphetamines or speed. And so, you know, we've seen the devastating effect of even ecstasy and, and what that has done to young people. But when you have a super potent and uh, super pure form of amphetamine, this is, you know, causing incredible problems with young people, uh, highly addictive now, we are going to introduce another guest uh, to share her story with us today on 2020. And I want to welcome to 2020 Kylie from Albany in WA, who on an earlier segment when we were talking about drug issues, Kylie called in and uh, and was telling her story. And I've invited her to be, about, uh, to be back with us today to share her story as we talk about this ice epidemic. Uh, Kylie from Albany in WA. Hello, Kylie. Kylie, welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil. How are you going? I'm very good. Kylie, thank you so much for being available and uh, to be able to share your story with us today. I wonder, as we're talking about ICE, and you've heard uh, Joanne and, uh, talking about uh, this issue and just how difficult it is to be able to uh, get your head around it and why anyone mm-hmm. would actually want to actually take these drugs, you've got your own story to tell. Where do you start when you start to share your thoughts on, uh, on drug addiction and particularly ICE? Mm. Well, I think it's lack of identity to start with, um, that leads you into, you know, uh, rebellious behaviour and stuff. I, I was going through a bit of a crisis at the time with a um, a breakup of a relationship and uh, just got introduced to it with the wrong crowd. And, you know, I was looking for something, searching for something to cope, and I was offered this stuff that smoked unlike anything that I'd ever tried before. You know, I'd, I, I was a bit of a rebellious teen, and so smoking pot wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary, but this was a whole new ball game, and it just wakes you up, it takes you to a, a higher plane, I guess, of um, self-awareness. You think that you're under control, but you aren't, and so that's how I got introduced to it. But in terms of it being an epidemic, I completely agree with you, Joanne. It's it's everywhere. Um, 
I was in Perth at the time and um, I just developed a bit of a habit, you know, it was a weekend thing and then it grew into a, a daily thing. So smoking crystal meth turned into a real ritual for me, um, you know, and you just get caught up in your own world and eventually you, you become a bit of a recluse. And Kylie, let me um, ask you, when did you know that you were uh, smoking this, uh, this crystal meth and mm. that it was actually now a problem, that you were addicted? When did you know it was an addiction issue? Not until I had a, a psychotic episode that landed me in hospital. Okay, how do you really? describe that? I, I mean, I'm quite I'm, blind to it. What does it uh, What does it feel like? What do you, What happens when you're having a psychotic episode? Well, I um, I still had faith in Christ, so um, I was an off the rails Christian, I suppose you could say. Um, and it's just a, a doorway to the underworld um, in terms of. Satan and demons and all that stuff. So having a psychotic episode is, I think, a combination of the um, the chemical imbalance that's happening in your brain, as well as the over-release of endorphins and serotonin levels and all that kind of stuff, as well as the spiritual. Um, and it, it was just a full-on attack for a good 13 hours, I think, it lasted for until I was taken to hospital. Kylie, yeah, as I understand it, a lot of people would talk about those sorts of psychotic episodes and they'd align that with some sort of a mental illness. You're saying mm. it's like a spiritual attack. How do you yeah. how do you actually tell the difference, do you think, between what might be just something that's going on in your mind and mm. an actual spiritual attack? Well, I had three more attacks after that, so... <laughs> Uh, I had three more episodes, I suppose, and it, it fell along the same lines. And I think your spiritual discernment, you have to be aware of it. But even even with non-Christians around me, I had people saying I'm, um, you know, that, that good, you know, the good old uh, good angel and bad angel. Well, the good angel's gone and the bad one's here to stay. You know, there was a lot of that kind of talk. And I had people in that world saying, well, we'll win you over the dark side. And it's really evident in that world that, that I was living in that people were being open to Satan and um, and the kingdom of the underworld. And, and without being too over-spiritual, um, Lucifer thinks he's on the throne and wants to, you know, still kill and destroy the lives of Christians, Christ's children, Um and that was that, that warfare was really in your face. And big challenge too, I guess. And uh, when you call yourself an off-the-rails believer, mm-hmm. and sometimes we say a backslidden a Christian, someone mm-hmm. who's fallen away from that protective environment that we have when we're, I guess, part of a, a friendship group or a local church uh, mm-hmm. that really provides such such uh, a protection for us. Let me bring Joanne Hobbs into the conversation here. Mm. Joanne, is this the sort of thing that you've heard perhaps before, uh, talking about spiritual things in relation to drug addictions? Oh, definitely, Neil. I think, um, you know, we, whenever we talk about drugs, we're talking about substances that are mind-altering. And, uh, you know, in that um, area, you know, we are open, obviously, to um, spiritual forces. And I believe that that's where, you know, there is definitely that connection with that spiritual world. Um, obviously, we know um, 
by research and medically speaking that these drugs do alter the mind. It alters the neurological pathways of the mind. So, you know, there is a combination of things happening here and those psychotic episodes are often caused by the imbalanced, but there is also definitely a spiritual element to this. Let's come back to Kylie in Albany in WA. Kylie, when you recognise that you are addicted and you recognise, I guess, that you need help, tell Mm. me about your journey of getting Mm. some help and, and actually then to the point where you can find a way to get free. Yeah, well, I, um, my parents were actually saved because of what I went through back in 2006. So my mum had faith her whole life, but my dad came to Christ in a whole, whole new way. He had knowledge of God. So God really used that to, to bring them both into a steadfast relationship with him and the church community gathered around in a way that I've never seen before. So I just wanted to put that there, that there's glory to God in, in this. Um, and I, I stayed away for drugs for about three months after that. Um, and then I started back at university and started studying and the pressures got to me and, you know, I'd have it every now and then just to keep me awake or I had, you know, I had an eating disorder as well. So there was coping strategies using, using it in a different method to control my eating and um, eventually I just over time uh, fell into the wrong crowds again and, and started that whole vicious circle again. But it was actually an interview with uh, with Teen Challenge in amongst that um, to consider going uh, to the one in Esperance for a year. But I thought, no, I didn't want to. I didn't want to use up a whole year. <laughs> mm. And foolishly, it was a foolish decision because it took me another two years to get completely uh, straight from it. But there were, you know, there were times where I, I would be diligent in. No, I'm not going to do this. But. Um, I wasn't in a church community myself um, and I hadn't really, I didn't understand what it was to be in a church community and be supported and um, that kind of thing. So having faith and living a Christian life are two different things for me. Mm. Um, Is there a sense too that, uh, you know, when everybody's offering advice, no doubt, uh, who knows mm. that you have an addiction and they're all telling you mm. what you should do, but you're very resistant to that. It's got to be your own decision to actually yeah. uh, call an end to what you're doing. And I guess you've got to be very strong when you make that decision. Yes. Um, I think the the episodes that I had were enough to to go, you don't want to go down that road anymore, you know. Um, it's life or death. It was life or death for me. And the amount of times that I could have been caught in an extremely dangerous situation, I believe the grace of God was on those and protected me from that. Um, but it eventually came to uh, two extremely amazingly strong parents who were very patient and understanding. Um, you know, I would hold myself accountable so... I remember one night I rang mum at like one o'clock in the morning or something and I'm like, mum, I'm really, really sorry, but I've had drugs and, but I'm okay, you know, and it's like, I wasn't okay. But, <laughs> but having just two loving parents that were willing just to pray for me and be there for me um, at a long distance um, until I was ready to come to a place of something's got to change, Um Kyla, let me ask you about just how important that is to have parents who Mm. are not disowning you in uh, knowing that you have a drug addiction. And uh, it might appear that some parents 
they don't want anything more to do with their children because they have taken a rebellious route and they've got themselves in all sorts yeah. of trouble. Uh, I guess uh, your encouragement to parents would be like to be like your parents, I guess, to yeah. not not disown their children. Yeah, they were definitely Christ with skin on. Christ wouldn't reject me, you know, um, to, to show that love and that grace and, and to acknowledge, hey, look, I'm not happy with the way you're living, but I love you anyway, is I think that was a huge key to my rehabilitation. Um, Joanne yeah, Hobbs. I just love them so much. <laughs> from Joanne from Teen Challenge. Uh, Joanne, I guess this is an important aspect too, isn't it, that... Uh, you might have a rehabilitation program for drug addicts, but uh, any, anyone who's going to get free of drugs, they need to have some support network that goes beyond uh, what you're doing, offering such a wonderful service in helping people to rehabilitate. They have to have some family, some friends, fr- some church contacts uh, to be able to be to become their long-term uh, support. Well, that's exactly right, Neil. We actually have a very holistic approach at Teen Challenge. Uh, we recognise that it's not just the individual. Um, we're dealing with families, and so we actually have a family support worker who works with the families. Uh, when they young people come into our centres, there's often um, a lot of brokenness there within the family relationships, and so we work very closely with families to help in that reconciliation process. And uh, I do hear what Kylie's saying. It's wonderful to have parents who will stand there with you and who will love you through the difficult times. And and I think that that is important. But I think we also need to understand that um, there is also incredibly destructive behaviour that comes with this addiction. And some families do have to draw boundaries. They should never stop loving and supporting their children, but they do need to draw boundaries. Oftentimes there's younger children within the family. And so there is that level of protection that has to come in there. But they should always still love and support. Kylie, let me bring you to the important part of this uh, story that you're sharing. And this is how you got free, what you went through. How painful was it uh, to actually get free from this drug ice? Wow. Um Extremely. I just, I can't, I can't put it into words, but it's taken a, a long road of just being courageous really and, and surrendering to Christ to do what he needed to do in me to heal me and restore me. And, you know, that journey is still going for everybody, but, um, yeah, it takes a lot of guts. I think, uh, you have to believe that you're here for a reason and that comes from knowing who Christ is. So the more I got to understand who Christ was and is and how much he loves me, the more I was able to be freed from previous mindsets. You know, um, Joanne mentioned before, it's, you know, your mind is altered and therefore you don't think logically and, um, you know, this good old scripture to be transformed by the renewal of your mind and take every thought captive you know, the other verse to and surrender it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, those two things and holding on to the faithfulness of God, um, that his faithfulness is, is stronger than my faithfulness. They're the main key scriptures that I've that I've meditated on over the years um, to get out of that. So it was it was scripture for me and um, Ephesians six with the the armor of God. 
I remember after my first episode coming out of hospital, my, my auntie rang me with that verse and said, Kylie, you have to learn that verse because it was a whole week that I, that I was um, after that initial um, incident that I pretty much lost my mind at my, at my parents' house on the farm. Um, so I meditated on that and the Holy Spirit just protected me from whatever was going on. So meditating on scripture and putting good people around you that are going to speak positively into your life and you can do it. You just have to, you just have to submit to the cross. Mm. Um, yeah, and know that he's gone through way worse. It's Neil with you. We're talking about the ice epidemic this hour and you might have your thoughts to contribute uh, on ice, uh, how do you decide not to pursue drugs? Uh, is there a spiritual dimension to drug use, drug abuse? one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. our number. Our special guest this hour is Joanne Hobbs, Executive Director of Teen Challenge in Queensland. Teen Challenge is all over Australia. And uh, our talkback line open, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Uh, this time uh, we have a caller, uh, John from Port Augusta in South Australia. Hello, John. Welcome along to 2020. John, are you with us? I'm not sure what's happened here with John. Hello, John, are you with us? Uh, we'll try and get a hold of John uh, back on the line again uh, shortly. John from Port Augusta. Uh, Joanne, when we reflect on Kylie's testimony, um, I guess not everybody comes from a Christian foundation, and Kylie was saying that she was a backslidden Christian. Uh, for people who don't have faith in Christ, uh, is there still hope for them? Well, absolutely, there's hope for everyone. But as you can understand, uh, Teen Challenge is a faith-based organisation, so um, we do have a very holistic approach, spirit, soul and body. We realise that there's a whole lot of elements that are involved in a person's recovery. Uh, so for us, we are very um, interested in digging down to those deeper issues because young people don't just wake up one day and decide to become a drug addict. It's a journey. And so I believe where um, Teen Challenge does an excellent work is that we actually deal with those underlying issues that got them to that place in, you know, into that place of addiction. So if you just deal with the addiction, um, trying to get a young person off drugs, that's not going to deal with the underlying issue that actually drove them there in the first place. So if we don't deal with that, that young person is never going to be able to be totally free because the triggers are still there. Let me bring you to as well to this task force that's been set up by the Prime Minister. Uh, is I mean, a lot of people will say, well, what's the government doing about this problem? And uh, I guess some will reflect on that and say, well, uh, you can't expect the government to solve all the problems, but there is a task force. Uh, do you know what it's, it's setting out to do and uh, if it can have any special effects on uh, the issues of this, this ice ep epidemic? Well, look, we applaud the Prime Minister for actually forming the National Task Force. Uh, I believe that it is something that uh, is very much needed. However, uh, I guess our encouragement would be that it's not just about law enforcement, but if you look into, I guess, 
their ethos behind why they're forming this task force. They're, they're looking into all of the different issues. And so it's not just about law enforcement. We've seen in the past that's not going to um, combat this epidemic that we're facing. There's got to be a whole holistic approach to it. It has to be a strategic, I believe, approach to um, this epidemic. So it, it involves things like education and awareness and uh, family community support, support for rehabilitation services, um, a whole range of things. It's not just about stopping them at the border. That's great and that is needed and we need to ramp that up. But if we don't deal with the actual uh, problems that we're facing in our communities right now, if we're not actually going to start to, to do some, um, put some strategies in place that's going to make a difference there, we, we're still really not going to touch the tip of the iceberg. There is a sense, isn't there, when the Prime Minister announces a task force, then awareness of the issue rises. And while the task force might have its own uh, uh, perspective on how it will deal with things, one of the things that it does do is it brings into the national uh, understanding that there is a real problem here and that uh, every one of us has to shake ourselves and say we can't let this go unattended. Absolutely. You know, it, it has to be an approach on every level and we can no longer turn a blind eye to this in our communities. Uh, you know, sometimes we want to be um, just shut away and safe in our own uh, little bubbles, but really we have to understand what's happening to this next generation. We're, um, we're in jeopardy of, of seeing an incredible impact upon this next generation. We're talking about um, mental health conditions and we're seeing a rise in mental health condition amongst young children and taking that into their teenage years and right into their young adolescent years. So, you know, there, there is a connection here and we need to make the connection. The government needs to make the connection as well that mental health issues with young people, while it's not exclusively to do with drugs, that is a, a great portion, I believe, of what is happening within that sphere. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Our number. Let's hear from Robin in Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Yes. Welcome along. Hi. Um, yes, I wanted to. Um, what those ladies have been saying is just spot on because um, I was a psych um, nurse, and many I noticed myself. Many uh, drug addicts become schizophrenic, and the other thing that connects that is um, a, a guy that wrote a book, Death of a Guru. He's a Christian. He became a Christian. Um, he was Indian. His father was a guru who ended up in a um, complete trance. His mother had to um, bathe him, toilet him, you know, everything. And yet the villagers thought it was just the greatest because he was this great guru. But anyway, this guy, that the son of that man who became a Christian, he ended up a chaplain in Europe in a university. And he was amazed that uh, a lot of the, uh, these drug addicts ex explained the same visions that uh, he was getting when he got, went in the trances because he was going his father's in in the way of his father as well and he had he had experienced trances where he saw you know like you know what they talk about what elephants and all sorts of st stuff or whatever but there's definitely a connection and um uh yeah because i and it's definitely uh demonic the the you're opening your soul up to the the demo demonic um yeah, influence, both ways. Joanne, your thoughts? Uh, look, I, I think it's... Um reiterating what I said before that once we once a young person goes down that uh, track it is a mind altering drug and therefore anything in that sphere is opening ourselves up to spiritual forces 
Robin from Mount Morgan, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for your contribution today here on 2020. And raise an interesting issue and a question for me as I hear Robin uh, saying those things. Uh, and if you you know think back to the stories that you might have heard from the 1960s and 70s when drug use became very popularised, uh, the flower power era and those sorts of things, uh, the idea of experimentation that would take you to a place where you're in a mind-altering experience. And uh, I wonder whether uh, your reflection, Joanne, on whether there is still a fascination and a curiosity that some people might have that may be leading them into these drug use issues because there is this curiosity about what's happening if I take this mind-altering experience. Well, Neil, I think it comes back to that same uh, problem that people are trying to escape their reality and they're often trying to escape their reality into something um, that is better than what they've actually got before them. Uh, a lot of this is about escapism. A lot of it is about numbing the pain that people are going through, the experiences that they've had as young people. Sometimes it just comes down to a, a bad choice and, uh, you know, but by and large, I believe the high percentage of people that actually uh, find themselves in this drug addiction, it's because they are trying to escape some form of pain in their life. It's Neil with you on 2020. We're talking about ice, the ice epidemic this hour. Our special guest is Joanne Hobbs, Executive Director of Teen Challenge in Queensland and Teen Challenge in 93 countries around the world. You might remember the story of David Wilkerson, who was the founder of Teen Challenge and uh, his life story, or at least uh, part of his story, in the movie The Cross and the Switchblade, dating right back to the 1970s. Well, one 316 our number if you'd like to contribute to our conversation. Uh, we still have uh, Kylie from Albany in WA on the line with us. And Kylie, I wonder whether if I ask you about the sorts of pressures that particularly young people might be under uh, when mm. you're in a group, that sort of peer pressure idea of, uh, of here, try this. Uh, what was your experience of dealing with that sort of peer pressure? Obviously, you, you caved in there and, uh, and, and you, you participated. But tell me about that pressure that's on you. Well, I think it's it's a case of how confident you are in yourself, first of all. And, you know, you know the saying, like-minded attract like-minded. So teens that are uh, a little bit insecure in themselves or, um, you know, in, in that state of mind where, where they don't really know who they are, are likely to try, I think, drugs and, and that kind of thing more than more than others who a little bit more grounded in themselves. So I was one of those those teens that had low self-esteem and uh, a lot of my friends were in that same same circle. So when when pot was offered to me, I was already like I was already one of those kids that would try uh, new things, you know, I, I tried a cigarette when I was eight or something ridiculous and you know that was just me off my own back because my parents smoked. Um so I just think that you have to be that way inclined anyway, a little bit rebellious, so lacking as well as, um, you know, wanting to be cool. So it was offered to me, but it, I, I don't know that it was actually pushed on me. So I never really experienced that because I was already a little bit rebellious and wanting to try it and, and thinking that it was cool to do it as well. 
So Now, in your experience, was this a group of young women or was this a mixed yeah. group, young men? Uh, I think you were reflecting in our past conversation the idea that uh, there's as many young women who are getting hooked on uh, drugs and ice as there are young men. Mm, well, we were in a... This is going back to when I was 14. So this is a group of young girls all smoking pot and getting stoned. And then and then later on in life, it was, it was girlfriends that led me to um, crystal meth as well um, in my late 20s. And... Um, and then I was, then it was males and females. So I don't think that there's more men than women. Um, I think women are getting exploited a lot because of it. Um, it's a very promiscuous drug, so to speak, in terms of um, heightening the sex drive and, and that kind of thing. So um, drugs and sex can go hand in hand. And, and, of course, that just continues the vicious circle of... of um, you know, the emptiness that you're creating because you're giving yourself away. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of girls go down that path of selling themselves for drugs or letting themselves get used for drugs. Um, I'm really thankful that I never did that because um, I had enough money to pay for my own, I guess. But um, it was, yeah, it's a, it's a horrible Horrible world. Let's bring Joanne into uh, this part of the conversation. When we talk Mm. about uh, sex and drugs, it means that when you've got a rehabilitation program, uh, that your counselling and uh, the modelling and everything you do has to deal with every aspect of life. It's not just uh, where you know why did you take this drug. It's it's really there's a lot of things going on in someone's heart and mind, Joanne. Absolutely, there is. And uh, we always say that the addiction um, is just the symptom of what the real problem is. And uh, in Teen Challenge, that's exactly the way that we approach it. Uh, The addiction is um, a physical addiction that they have. Uh, That actually can be handled and managed. You know, anyone can go to a detox and get off um, drugs. But if the underlying issues are not dealt with, uh, those triggers are still there. And so we deal with a whole range of things like... um, eating disorders and uh, depression and self-harm, a whole range of things that go along with those addictions. Uh, Joanne Hobbs is with us. Uh, So is Kylie from Albany in WA. Let's also take a call uh, from Angela in Adelaide. Hello, Angela. Welcome along to 2020. Hello, how are you? Good, Angela. What are your thoughts on our discussion today? Oh, gee. Uh, Lord, help me. I have... This is a subject that really close to my heart uh, in more ways than one. Um, I um, I have, you know, myself been involved in not not I so much, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm 60, 61 years old and um, uh, I took on board your comment about, you know, the 60s and, and the drugs that were happening then. Well, I think it's um, a little bit different now. I think um, back then people were were taking them more socially. It was sort of like an in thing. Um, and now people are searching out. They're searching out drugs to cover up a multitude of hurts and pains and whatever the issues might be. And 
Yes, I couldn't agree more with, I think it's Joanne, is it? That the symptoms are being, um, uh, the symptoms are being, uh, 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 you know, looked into, but, um, you know, the underlying issues, that's what really concerns me. And um, yesterday I was, I was driving and there's a big building that's fairly recently new around my area and it's a huge mental health building. And, you know, I just realised how many people there are out there who need help. And um, in my own experience, a lot of these people have such... They're even scared to admit, I believe, to the doctors the things that are going on in their head for fear that they might be locked away forever and the keys thrown away. So, um, but, you know, I just want to encourage anyone who might be listening to this radio station that there is a way out. There is help out there. And although you might not be able to see the way out at the moment, you know, don't lose hope because there are people who are there to help and um, I just want to encourage your hearts that you're not crazy. We, we, people who have experienced this, who've been through it, they know that um, um, uh, and have come through it. They know that it's just the issues that they've been dealing with their life and issues that have been compounded Angela, let me bring Joanne into this conversation. Joanne, your thoughts on what Angela is sharing, uh, dating right back to the 60s. I think you said you were uh, in your 60s now, Angela, so you remember the 1960s and uh, the reasons why people took drugs then, the reason they take them now. Uh, This idea of mental health that seems to be compounding, the issue seems to be getting greater. Uh, Your thoughts, Joanne Hobbs? Uh, well, uh, definitely, I think the uh, drugs have become a lot more potent uh, since the 60s as well. And, you know, we say that, um, look, you know, it was just an experiment back in those days. And I guess that that, that there is a truth to that. Uh, but I can't help but uh, just continue to reflect on the fact that um, where drugs are concerned, that it still is often because they want to cover up the pain that's there. I think um, definitely we're looking now at an epidemic where back then uh, it was done more socially, but there was still also, if you if you were go back to David Wilkinson's days on the streets of New York, there was gang culture back there and, and the drug problem was rife. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it's more than just experimental even back then. Well, thank you so much to Angela from Adelaide for your contribution to our discussion today here on 2020. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Time flying by quickly, talking about drug use this hour and particularly about the ice epidemic. Joanne Hobbs, Executive Director of Teen Challenge, is our guest. Thank you so much uh, for the input from Kylie from Albany and WA. We've uh, farewelled Kylie. Uh, Let's take one more call, I guess. Let's uh, talking about this ice issue. Peter is in Altona North in Victoria. Hello, Peter. Welcome along to 2020. Oh, hi, I just look, I'll just be quick. My brother was addicted to dope. Can you hear me? Yep, sure. Um, he, he's been off dope now for about 15 years, but um, he got off because of support. So he's fine now. 
Um, but the, the other thing is, there's a lot of people that are addicted, but they've got no support. And this is a, ma a major issue. A lot of young people have no support. I think there was one woman that was saying um, a lot of them are embarrassed to admit their addiction. That's another problem. Uh, the other thing is, uh, compared to about 30, 40 years ago, a lot of young people uh, are being pressured. Uh, that because of their issues, they're, they're caving in like... The, what is it? They're searching for a new high. They're experimenting, and that's the word... Uh, that's the word experimenting and it's got to start at school but it's education I'm 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 not I now know it's education at school it's got to start at school because what they're doing is they're searching for another high <clears throat> yeah yeah that's what it is and, Peter uh, let's hear thoughts from Joanne Hobbs Joanne your thoughts on what Peter is sharing Peter, that um, education is an extremely important part of dealing with this epidemic. Uh, I think that, you know, I'm hoping that the National Task Force, that this is going to be one of their recommendations, that we actually put programs to uh, within the schools. Um, and, and, you know, there's a whole range of things that I believe could be done and achieved uh, through awareness and education. Obviously, that's not the full and total answer, but it, it, there is a whole lot of um, elements to the answer to this question. Peter from Altona North in Victoria. Peter, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Uh, Joanne, when we reflect on some of the things Peter is saying there, uh, this support idea, obviously if you are a person who's part of a rehab program, uh, there's support that's coming to you. But you said something a little earlier about having a family support uh, person. Uh, tell me about how important that is because this is not just the person who's going through the ordeal of getting free from the drugs. This is about how to prepare the family to be a support around them once they are free. Absolutely. Uh, look, we've found that um, family support worker is extremely important to our program. Uh, young people that come into our programs, they're broken and often have already broken the relationships within the family. Uh, and the families are really often at their wits end not knowing what to do and so there is a lot of reconciliation that needs to happen and the parents themselves, once the young people come into our um, services, they need um, to be able to have someone to walk that journey with them and that's what our family support worker does. She's able to educate them, she's able to help them uh, to understand what they've been through and what they can expect and uh, how their young person um, is going in the program. So she's that connecting person and also the one that facilitates that reconciliation. Uh, tell me about how hard it is uh, to get your son or daughter or yourself, if you're listening into this program, think, I need help. How hard is it to find a uh, a bed in a rehab facility? Is there like a waiting list? When we talk about epidemic, you know, this image comes to mind that oh, there must be a long waiting list and you just can't find a bed anywhere. How hard is it to actually get some help and uh, enroll into a program where you can get free? Well, uh, in Teen Challenge, I can speak, I guess, on, on how we do that. Uh, we have an assessment process. So uh, we have uh, someone who talks with all of our young people that are inquiring and their parents, of course, and they go through an assessment process. And through, after that in assessment process, they're um, able to come into the facility. Obviously, there's a whole range of things that are in that process to do with their medical and mental health and a whole range of things that we have to assess. Uh, 
I believe that uh, women's waiting lists are the largest uh, simply because there's not enough of them. Uh, We were really blessed to be able to open our first women's facility in November of 2011 and that was an incredible milestone for Teen Challenge Queensland. Uh, But the fact is that there's just not enough beds available for women who need residential care. Uh, Is there a list of the centres where you have teen challenge centres around the country uh, because are they all in the capital cities or are there some into regional areas? Uh, Well, uh, often their base is in the um, capital cities but their centres are often situated outside in the regional areas. So it's just as simple to um, just Google teen challenge and uh, they will pop up all the different states because we are in every state of Australia. Yes, this is the uh, this is the exciting thing uh, in this internet age. It's easy to connect with someone who can help, and uh, the someone who can help. Uh, now, let me just ask you about help. Coming back to a very very basic help. Uh, supposing there are some parents listening into our conversation now, they know their children are dabbling in drugs. They think and they suspect it might be ice. Uh, is there a lower level way that parents can connect with Teen Challenge uh, with some resources uh, that actually get that help before the problem develops into a full-blown addiction? Absolutely there is and uh, our family support worker is the one that facilitates that as well. She deals with a whole lot of um, families, that not just of um, young people who are in our services but just families who are inquiring, who need help, who often need referrals. Um, unfortunately, we have a lot of calls for uh, young people that are younger than what we can take them. Um, legally, we can only start taking them from 16. In fact, we're the only rehabilitation centre in Queensland that take them as young as 16. So 16 and 17-year-olds, they're very vulnerable because there's just not enough um, beds for them. Uh, And uh, the family support worker works very closely with anyone who rings in to inquire. And running short of time, but the sorts of things that you might look for that might alert you as a parent or as a friend, you know, people have got neighbours, to someone who might be having an addiction issue that needs some help. Sure. Look, some of those um, signs that are to look for are things like um, extreme tiredness, um, explosive outbursts, um, minimal interaction with family. You've noticed that their interaction where they've become withdrawn, um, perhaps trouble with the police, um, changes in their eating patterns, frequent absences from school or from work. Uh, Sudden changes in their friends, that's something to look for as well, and unexplained need for money. Well, there are a lot of things you can look out for, those things that might indicate an underlying drug issue. I'd point you to Teen Challenge Queensland, that's qld.org.au. Simply Google Teen Challenge, you'll find some help. Joanne Hobbs, Executive Director of Teen Challenge, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. It was my pleasure. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.